Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. I am Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. And pay for good journalism, folks, because there is a ton of good stuff up on The Athletic about the Nashville Predators. we got Scott Burnside in the building writing long stories about the, the family reunion that is Nashville Predators hockey being back at Bridgestone Arena. Joe Rex Road with a bunch of stuff up there. I know you, of course, have got a bunch of your work up there as well. So pay for good journalism. Uh, of course, go to The Athletic, subscribe. And, uh, you know, it's like a cup of coffee every month. It's a great asset to have if you're a Preds fan. Uh, I am coming to you live from Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I watched the game on Sunday, uh, the national broadcast with a bunch of diehard Preds fans. So it was a ton of fun. I got to like, you know, sit with fans to watch the game, which is always uh, more enjoyable than just sitting at my house in my little tiny studio and watching the game. Um, so if, if the microphone sounds a little different or uh, if anything's a little, little off about this episode, it's because I'm sitting in my, my bedroom at a beach house with about 18 people. So there's that. <laughs> is Alabama not in the Predators viewing area? Uh, Northern Alabama probably is. In fact, the Preds have worked pretty hard, I think, to get like Huntsville and Birmingham sort of connected to the Nashville Predators. Uh, but I, we're, we're, when you have to drive 340 miles in Alabama on the same road, you know, like it's just, I just, it's not my favorite part of the process, but it is a beautiful, it's been beautiful and the kids are happy and I got, we got to watch the Preds and everything. So, uh, also, the, of course, uh, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. Yeah, Jaspers. That was a very casual Jaspers. Just like, yeah, it's just Jaspers. Yeah, I think it was like my scratchy, morning, tired voice version <laughs> of Jaspers. You're not going to scream it like the other, others on the network? Um, no, no, go, no Cavendish-style screaming from me today. Go to Jaspers. Uh, of course, great parking. We have at least two more hockey games to watch. So the hockey, uh, so the happy hour there at Jaspers is great, four to six. And then during Preds games, of course, which we have at least two more because the series is tied up at two. We head back to Raleigh, which means we will get another game at Bridgestone Arena, which we can talk. We'll, we'll talk a lot of stuff here today. Obviously, the series tied up 2-2. Joe Hansen and Duchesne being benched on the power play and their response. They actually scored some goals this weekend. Um, uh, Rod Brindamore working the refs. We'll talk UC Saros, of course. Yes, we have to address Taylor Lewan, uh with as, as <laughs> putting his child aside to cover himself in beer. We've got to talk about that. And we'll look ahead, of course, to game five on Tuesday evening. Um, Adam, just being in the building Wednesday night or Friday night, I did have a chance to cover that game. And it was, you know, 12,000 strong, if not more. Not a lot of empty seats in the lower bowl. Uh, it, it was the first time I think there was a home playoff game at Bridgestone Arena in 761 days. You had to go all the way back to April 20th against the Stars. And it did feel, it, it just felt so nice to have the building back to feeling pretty normal. It, it felt like a full crowd for both Friday and I'm assuming on Sunday as well. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that there were only 12,135 fans in attendance. <laughs> I, I looked around the arena before puck drop yesterday afternoon and the lower bowl minus those few rows near the bench that were tarped off. Um, the entire lower bowl was full, or it seemed like it. The uh, the upper bowl seemed pretty darn full too. So there had to be ways to get it to quote unquote 12,135. But I bet if you were to count every single person who was in that building yesterday, which would be a Herculean task, I think it would be more than that. 
it just felt like that. And if in, in, and maybe it's just because when was the last time we saw a close to full building of any kind in the past year and a half, but you know, credit to all of the fans in attendance at both games. The atmosphere was incredible. It was great to see uh, Bridgestone arena back to normal or as close to normal as we can. And uh, after the predators lost the first two games in Raleigh, a lot of the players were talking about just getting back to Bridgestone arena and playing in front of their fans and how that would help. And oftentimes when I hear that, I just go, Psh. they're supposed to say that it makes for great commercials and, and social media sound bites. But I, I feel like in this particular instance, it actually did have meaning. Um, the last time the Predators were down to nothing in a playoff series, by the way, the 2017 Stanley Cup final, they came back from Pittsburgh down to nothing and won both games to tie the series. And that's what they did in this series as well. Down to nothing to Carolina, won games three and four and doubled overtime each. And it's a whole new, I was going to say ball game, but there's no ball in hockey, <laughs> at least not in ice hockey. It, it, it just, it felt, and, and Scott Burnside of, of The Athletic and his story called it a family reunion. And it did, it did feel like that. It felt like, Hey, good to see you old friend on Friday night when, when it, when it kind of came to life. And um, we just sort of got used to so many brilliant, wonderful playoff atmospheres at that building to have it disappear for so long pandemic included because the, the Arizona series was in the bubble, but like just to have it back and, and, and then to go into double overtime and to actually come through with, of course, it's Matt Duchesne, Dutchie, making a, making a big play on the breakaway to score in, in, in double overtime. Uh, and then, of course, the broken stick with Luke Cunning, who has to go back to the bench. So he enters the zone late and, and then, of course, is in the slot uncovered and buries the game winner. And then uh, with one of the crazier celebrations I've ever seen, somebody might have gotten hurt in that in that scrum. But it was just, you know, 5-4 on, on Friday night and four, three on, on Sunday. I don't know how much, and we'll get into this when we preview games five. Yes. It means we get another game at Bridgestone arena, which is a blast, but I, I you know, I, I will say this. I, I don't feel like Nashville is that much closer to winning the series, but outside of game one games, two, three, and four, the Nashville predators have played largely even hockey. It feels like with Carolina, it has not looked like, the season series looked like most of the year and in game one where it looked like they got their asses kicked, but in games two, three, and four, it felt like a different team playing even hockey with Carolina. And I'll give them a lot of credit for that. Well, first of all, as you mentioned, let's go back for a second, the celebration, Luke Cunning launching himself off the top rope uh, <laughs> and, and uh, careening into uh, Alexander Carrier who seemed okay and for a lot of old-time Predators fans, it was reminiscent of a celebration between Jason Arnott and Alex Radulov, um, which which wow. this was before my time, but concussed, uh, uh, you know, apparently concussed Arnott, the force of Radulov <laughs> jumping into Arnott uh, caused Arnott to suffer a concussion. Um, but it does has been so important and so right. fun to watch. Like, popped right back him. up sans helmets. <laughs> I think he's okay. Uh, but I went back and watched that celebration, the are not Radulov celebration, and it does look very similar. Yeah. So if you're listening and you don't remember that you should go back and watch, um, to your point about the flow of the game, 
I do think the games, I, I do think games two and three were more even analytically. Game four, from an offensive zone possession time standpoint, was incredibly lopsided. Um, at the end of the first period, the Hurricanes had nearly four minutes of offensive zone possession time compared to 32 seconds for the Predators. And that's in all situations, so that accounts for power play too. By game's end, the Hurricanes had 13 minutes, 24 seconds of offensive zone possession time compared to the Predators' 5 minutes, 33 seconds. So there Why were you going to rain on my parade, Adam? I'm trying I'm getting, to be positive. But I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. So <laughs> early on in the game, the at regulation, at the end of regulation, slot shots were 18-11 in favor of Carolina. By game's end, it was 20-20. So in the two overtime sessions, the Predators had nine slot shots to the Hurricanes two. So the Predators did a much better job in the overtime periods of getting to the high danger scoring areas. But there were plenty of time, there were plenty of times, especially in the first period and at various points in regulation and in overtime where the Hurricanes basically set up shop in the Predators offensive zone or Predators defensive zone rather in the Hurricanes offensive zone. Um, To the Predators credit, they blocked 31 shots uh, on Sunday um, and they did a decent job of keeping Carolina's chances, you know, outside of the slot, despite all you would think if you had 13 plus minutes of possession time that you would have more than 20 slot shots. So all things considered, the Predators did a decent job of at least, you know, keeping Carolina from getting to the inside. Um, But watching, I just remember watching that first period, which was basically spent in the, in the predator zone and, when the email came in from sport logic at the intermission and I saw the three minutes, 50 something seconds compared to 32 seconds, my, like my eyes bulged. I was like, <laughs> it was, Damn. it was 17, five shots after one 15 to nine shots in the second and then 12, nine shots in the third. And as you mentioned, the Preds put, put a lot of pressure on Nedeljkovic in overtime. And so I, I, you're right. certainly to, to those metrics. I just think I thought Friday night in particular, was just a genuinely entertaining, fun, like that's what you want to watch as a hockey fan. Like you want to see a game where one team takes the lead and then the other team comes back and then it's tied up and then it's back and forth and then it's a late tie and then it goes into overtime. Like if you just are an objective observer, that was as fun a hockey game as I can remember watching as as a fan of the sport. So not just of the Preds, but as a fan of the sport, that was just a, a blast of a game on Friday night. Certainly more stressful on Sunday. Uh, there's no question about it, and and we can we can move, move on to the power play here with with Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne because he totally changed up all the lines after all that conversation. They were 0 for 7 in Game Two. Um, they had been 0 for 15 against Dallas two years ago. They were 4 for 14 against Arizona last year, and at one point they were 0 for 13. So at one point they were 5 for 40, 4 for 41 on the power play, going into the five on three. And they scored a goal in the five-on-three power play. And I thought that goal was the series. If they didn't score in that five-on-three, I thought the series was going to end in four. But they scored a goal in that situation. Has They scored again on the power play in game four. I, I don't think the problems are solved. 
but John Hines made some tweaks, and I do believe that that five-on-three changed the course of the series, at least for the short term. We talked about the last podcast when they were down 2 nothing because we did not do a Game 3 reaction pod. We're combining the two home games on this podcast. We talked a lot about the, the, the heat that John Hines was getting for his lineup choices and the adjustments he was making or not making. Um, but the one thing about John Hines that he has proven since the beginning of his time here in Nashville is that he's not afraid to make adjustments that might not be popular. Um, he promised before game three that there were going to be tactical and personnel adjustments to the power play. And when the power play unit came out the first time, Luke Cunningham was on there. Alex Carrier was on there. You know, the second unit jumps over the boards. Nick Cousins is there. And um, I think Eric Hollow was on that unit um, as well. I might have, I might have them mixed up, but either way, Ryan Johansson, Matthew Shane and Ryan Ellis were on neither um, unit. And uh, Johansson and Duchesne combined for a grand total of one second on the power play in game three. So that sounds, was, like an, so, that, that sounds like an accident. <laughs> it was Johansson. So maybe he like jumped over the boards for a five on five shift with one second left on the power play. Or and something. not only does the power play show mild progress, but Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne are scoring goals now in five on five. So yeah, they were, it's worked. They were great um, in games three and four. Um, you know, Matthew Shane, of course, scored the game winning goal in game three. And I can only imagine what would have happened if that turnaround backhand that he tried in overtime yesterday would have won the game. <laughs> um, you know, like it's interesting because you watch how Matthew Shane and Ryan Johansson have played in these past two games. And by the way, they both had 22 seconds of power play time in game four. Um, so you watch how those two have played in the past two games and it's encouraging yet infuriating because this is the Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne that the predators are paying $8 million per season for each, you know, and it made me wonder like, you know, why can't they play like this all the time? Um, I, st you know, I still see a lot of dead end plays for Matt Duchesne though. Like he gets, Matt he gets the, he gets the puck on his stick and he's got all these fancy moves and he's got great hands and he can do it, but it never results in a play. Like Johansson, I think is making far more plays and I'm not suggesting that Duchesne didn't play well on, on Friday night and play well overall. He does, but it seems like he gets to the puck, you know, entering the zone or whatever, and he makes some fancy move and all of a sudden he gets by one guy and then the play comes to an end. Am I wrong on that? No, I think that's the thing with Matt Duchesne. You know, he's kind of, what's the, what's the, uh, basketball equivalent he's a ball stopper you know the the ball the ball comes to him and you know not much else not much else happens after that yeah. so um you know ryan johansson i think it was his goal yesterday um you know the one where he you know the nadelkovich wasn't was unable to to freeze the puck it popped out in the slot you know matt duchene and ryan johansson both went after it johansson got a stick on it and scores, you know, rewind five, 10 seconds before that goal, Ryan Johansson is along the boards. And I can't remember which Carolina player he's battling with. It might be Jake Bean. Who's had a rough go of it. Jake Bean was the, uh, was the uh, defenseman who got burned by Duchesne on the game winner in game three. 
I, I think it was Jake Bean who was in a board battle with Johansson and Johansson, who's six foot three, 220 pounds, basically just strong, strong arms, Jake Bean off the puck, you know, with one, with one arm, you know, just puts his arm out, stiff arms and basically, you know, wins the battle cuts to the front of the net and is there for the goal. It's like, this is the Ryan Johansson yep. that the predators have been wanting to see and have seen in spurts for, for six years. And, you know, that's what is so infuriating, as I said, about watching Ryan Johansson is because you know he can do it, but it just doesn't happen enough. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you can feel good about what you've seen from the two of them in these past two games. I wonder, however, if people's overall opinions of those players, you know, might, I don't know what word I'm looking for here. I, I don't want to say that I don't want to say the opinions are going to change because it's two games, but like, if Ryan Johansson and Magic Shane continue to play this well and in the in the Predators somehow pull off this upset, like will people's opinions of those players change? I, or I, are I, people I, still going to be plotting their way to Seattle? I, I don't think I don't think they should change. I think if anything, to your point, it proves how we all feel about them, mm-hmm. which is that one of them needs to go to Seattle and the other one needs to take the next step in this evolution, which again is why I think Duchesne should go to Seattle and Johansson should stay. I've been saying that from the beginning. If, if I was, um, you know, if I was doing this um, it's interesting. W- one final note, like I, I was sitting next to Jeremy Gover during the, the game three. And I just looked over at him and said, I want to see Luke Cunning on the power play. I, he goes to the front of the net. He, he takes, he's got no fear. And I, sure enough, then there he shows up. And so we, we can move on. we got to get to Soros and Taylor Juan in, in game five, but um, quickly here, Rod, Rod the Bod, Rod, Rod Brindamore, uh, after the game, game three, we talked a lot about John Hines after the press in his press conference, so we kind of need to talk about Brindamore here complaining about the refs. Again, I don't have a problem yeah. with it. I, I don't think it was a – it's much like the John Hines stuff. far from the only coach who had something to say about officiating across the NHL. Yeah, and, and it's a normal thing to do. Also, the, the penalty that Ryan Ellis drew along the boards behind the net – it was kind of a touchy call. The call that Matt Duchesne drew in overtime, right, where he's go- skating through the slot and he gets kind of upended wasn't really the right call either. <laughs> he's got tr- – like, I, you could argue that those were some weak calls. And so it's okay for a coach to be frustrated after a loss in a playoff game about the referees. That's okay. Just like it's okay for John Hines to be frustrated after going down 0-2 without a whole lot of answers. And then he came back and found some answers, and now we're, now we're 2-2. So I don't know what you make of – Rod Brindamore, I guess it means that you just got to be careful in game five because maybe the refs might be keeping an eye on some stuff, I guess, is all well, you need to. Well, it seemed to work. It seemed to work because the Predators didn't have their first power play until early in the third period. Yeah. Um, you know, the penalties yesterday, you know, coincidental minors on Ben Harper and Nino Niederreiter um, in the first period. Matthew Olivier for tripping in the first period. Colton Sissons for cross-checking in the first period. Eric Holler for high-sticking in the second period. Nino Niederreiter had it rough yesterday. Ben Harper's roughing was against Niederreiter. Colton Sissons cross-checking was against Niederreiter. Niederreiter. Eric Holler's <laughs> high-sticking penalty was against Niederreiter. You know, clearly, uh, as Sarah Sivian told us a couple of weeks ago, he was going to be public enemy number one for predators fans and he's mixing it up every chance he gets um but the the, the, the fans that i'm here with on this beach trip that that's the name they repeat over and over again they do not like he they, sarah sivian nailed it they hate that first guy. of all it's just a fun name to say <laughs> right right writer it's just a fun name to say but he has yeah. definitely been a pain in the ass uh for the predators <laughs> and and they're not they're not dealing with it 
Um, but, you know, to Luke Cunning, you know, he was the team's leading scorer at even strength during the regular season, both in terms of goals and points. He had 10 goals and nine, 19 points, excuse me. Um, I believe at five on five, not just even strength. Um, so he didn't get a ton of, you know, special teams time. I think it was game two when they had what seven power plays he was basically stable to the bench for most of that game right right he and that's why i was like power play he doesn't play on the penalty kill um but he can on the power play and he probably could play on the penalty kill too um so I, I think considering how good he's been since coming back from injury in mid-season any chance you can yeah. get him into the lineup more is, is beneficial so as he proved yesterday scoring the first goal and the last goal, and I think there was this, a statistic that said it was the fourth largest gap between a player scoring twice in a game <laughs> um, in NHL history. Because um, it was 57 seconds into the game and then 16-10 of the second overtime. So basically two, almost two full hockey games. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it's funny how what I love about Luke Cunning is how angry he gets when he scores. <laughs> like, you know. The, the facial expressions are great. Yeah, um, yeah. It reminds me a little of James Neal. You know, James <laughs> Neal guy would get angry when he scored too. You know, a lot of emotion. So here's the tweet from the NHL public relations Twitter. A total of 95 minutes, 13 seconds elapsed between Luke Cunning's two goals and today's game four. It was the fourth longest amount of time between two goals by a player in the same game in NHL history. First Braden point for Tampa last year, 144 minutes. Oh my God. Well, what was the game? It was like five overtimes between the Lightning and the Blue Jackets, five or six overtimes last year in the bubble. So that was that. That's two and a half games. The third longest mark, Mike Fisher, 100 minutes, 101 minutes, 22 seconds, May 5th, 2016 versus San Jose in the second round. Uh, let's let's get to um, let, let's get to UC Soros here. Um, he tied the record for what shots against right in game. He tied the record three. for saves in game three with with um, with uh, Dan Ellis. Yep. Uh, and then and then in game four, sixty one shot attempts, fifty eight saves, both Predators playoff records, and UC Soros had a nine fifty one save percentage once again. It, the entire we we should not wait to the middle or the, la- the end of this podcast to start talking about him. Frankly, we just need to start every show with and UC Soros was great. Let's talk about the rest of the team because he just has been spectacular, Adam. He has, and when we when we previewed this series, you know the goaltending was the one advantage that the Predators had over the Hurricanes. He was the key to an upset, even in the games they lost. I thought he was good. Um, but he was spectacular to use your word in games three and four. My friends at sport logic gave me these stats in game three. He stopped 26 of 27 slot shots at all situations, including 12 of 13 from the inner slot. Um, yesterday he stopped 18 of 20 from the slot, including seven of eight from the inner slot. So give me the, so you said 26 of 27 and then 18 out of 20, 26 of 27 and 18 out of 20. So that's 44, 47. He stopped 44, 47 slot shots in games three and four, including 19 of 21 from the inner slot. That's that. That's incredible. And playing every minute of two games that went 95 and 96 minutes, respectively, that's a grand total of 110 saves 
in two games. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now it's also a, a recipe for like you can't. Some of that's the time in, on the ice, and you had extra periods. But like as we talked about earlier, th- they had what did they have th- th- forty four shots or something like that going into overtime? Like it was. I mean, it was the a, shot counter. The shot counter was quite lopsided. Um, my favorite thing, well, it's not my favorite thing. I have lots of favorite things, but one of my favorite things analytically is to go to the money puck website and they have what's called a deserve to win meter. Uh, it's called, actually it's called the deserve to win O meter. And it's based (laughs) on, uh, you know, the analytics of the game and, Surprisingly, the Predators finished with 53.3% deserve to win versus 46.7% for the Hurricanes. But I have to imagine <laughs> in regulation, it was probably 60 right. to 70% at Carolina. Right. Um, you know, the Predator, like Nedeljkovic made more highlight reel saves yesterday. Oh, the two, uh, he had two kick saves that were just on, on open nets, right? On the back side. He made a save that wouldn't have counted. The, uh, the, the, the one at the end of regulation where Eric Kala, uh, played the puck with a high stick yeah, and it yeah. bounced right to Nick cousins. And he still made the save. He had the two on O, uh, yep. with Matthew Olivier and Yakov Trenin. Um, you know, so Nadelkovic made the prettier saves. Like I went back and watched the highlights of the game and, you know, there were no like huge saves by UC Soros, but he was calm under pressure as he's been since March. Um, he, you know, it's, it's interesting because questions remained about whether UC Soros could do this. Like even, even from, after from you, that, well, from, I think a lot of people, not me. Like, well, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dragging you into this. I will speak for myself, but I know in talking to, you know, other, other writers and, and analysts and, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of upside to UC Saros's game and a lot to be, you know, um, enthusiastic about, but even after how well he played in the second half, you know, you think back to the bubble last year. And I know it was a completely different situation, but he had a subpar series. And that was against an average, at best, Arizona Coyotes team. Um, against a high-powered opponent like the Hurricanes, was he, would, would, he be, would he be able to withstand their pressure? Yeah. And yeah. he has. Yep. Um, so, I, you know, I think UC Soros has shown that he has legitimate number one goaltender upside. Um, is he going to be a workhorse like Pecorine was for a decade? Probably not, but he absolutely can be a number one goalie for this team. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote at the beginning of the season that he just had to be the goalie of the immediate future. You know, I, I think he could be more than that if he continues to play like this. Well, it's it's his net for at least the next couple of seasons, right? And, and and at least until Askarov shows us that he's ready, and that may be three years, maybe it's four years. And so, um, I, I think he's got the net for at least two, if not three or four seasons. And if Pecorine does decide to come back, make some decision, and wants to be the backup, then I think Preds fans would love it. But it's UC Saros's net. There's there's no question about it. So we're down to. A best two out of three at this point. One of those games will be at Bridgestone, of course. Um, we'll have some reaction for you after Tuesday night's game and then, what, Thursday night's game at, at Bridgestone and then Sunday 
will be game seven if necessary, but we're at least getting five and six. And so the, before we get to Taylor Lewan, I guess the question is, whatever John Hines is doing, if it's all Bridgestone, then then they can't go win in Raleigh. <laughs> but but if it's more about UC Saros being great and the power play finding some life and, you know, they, they were, you know, good at handling Carolina's forecheck. They still could not enter the zone very well yesterday on Sunday. It still is not, they don't get, they don't just kind of float in and get set up on offense. They got to figure some of that stuff out. I still think Carolina is the heavy favorite to win the series, Adam, but um, it, 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 it's felt a lot more even and a lot more fun since, you know, those first, the, those, the, the second and the third period in the first game where Carolina just dominated you can't you can't do what you did in 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 the first period in game four in Raleigh. You'll get torched. Um, so the question is, I guess you could you lose game five, you win game six. Can you go to Raleigh and win game seven? I guess right is the question. Well, let's just put it to you this way: when we talked a few days ago about the ability for the Predators to win four out of five against the Hurricanes, it seemed impossible. Now they just have to win two of three. Yeah. And that seems conceivable if UC Soros plays the way that he's been playing. But, you know, of course, the, the Predators are going to have to win a game in Raleigh. Um, and I imagine just as Predators fans were hyped up when uh, their team came back for games three and four, seeing what happened in games three and four, the Hurricanes fans are going to be just as psyched um, on, on, on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central, by the way. Um, and, uh, that'll be interesting to see. Like I said, I often dismiss the idea of home ice advantage and how much of an impact fans really have on the, on the play of a team. But when you consider the fact that, you know, both of these teams played their postseasons last year with no fans and, and spent most of the season playing in front of empty buildings, I feel like this year you can make yep. a reasonable case that having fans in the seats actually does make a difference. Well, we will be back to talk to you guys, of course, following Game 5. Don't uh, forget the, Taylor Lewan. No, I'm not, I'm not forgetting Taylor Lewan. I'm just making sure our sponsors get some love first, Adam. So uh, let's talk a little Jaspers here. Go to Jaspers. Uh, the Gold Standard is brought to you, of course, by Jaspers. There you go. Uh, a very subdued Adam Vingan uh, with his Jaspers endorsement this, this morning. It's early. <laughs> um and uh obviously great great parking great happy hour great place to watch the game great menu and if you're a preds fan again happy hours are extended it's normally four to six monday through friday but also uh through the preds games which again are tuesday now and thursday as well so if you can't get into the game at bridgestone on thursday make sure you're going to jaspers and checking that out tuesday for the, the road game as well so um, always appreciate jaspers for for being around with us and, and supporting the show and making this bad boy free for everybody all right which uh which will wrap up with the taylor lawan's situation actually i would like to point out one more thing okay that i forgot to point out earlier in the show who would have thought that the john hines coached predators would outlast the peter laviolette coached capitals <laughs> No comment. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> no comment. I have no. I have no comment. Adam just throwing his hands in the air. Just saying. Um, I'm just. I'm just. Okay. Pointing out a fact. I, <laughs> the Preds are still playing. John Hines is still coaching. And the Pittsburgh the Penguins are, uh, and all uh, uh, Pittsburgh, yeah, Capitals. What am I thinking? Um, also, Tampa Bay looks pretty damn salty. I'll just throw that out there too. <laughs> they look salty. 
yeah, they look pretty good. Well, uh, well, the uh, they're accusing the Florida Panthers of being a little too assaulty, um, considering what the Panthers did as that game got out of reach the other day. Uh, that uh, that's uh, that, that that is true. I'm just saying. Anthony Duclair gave uh, gave Nikita Kucherov the galuli. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just in the back of the knee. I'm just saying they got some dudes back and they're scoring like six goals a game. Uh, so even if you do win four out of five against Carolina, guess what's coming next for you? <laughs> That's all I'm pointing. Bunch of lightning. That's all I'm pointing out. Uh, all right. So Taylor Lewan, uh, the play-by-play here, we'll do real quickly. And then if you want to be, I don't, I have a feeling you're not the crotchety old 75 year old man who's telling people to get off my lawn, but we'll see. Sometimes you go a little grumpy. So we'll see about this. Uh, mm-hmm. Taylor Lewan is sitting there like th- three rows back from the glass, of course. Um, his wife's there. He's, he's, he's with his daughter, who's about my daughter's age. I want to say like four, four or five years old, something like that. And like puts her sort of down to the side, rips off his Preds jersey and, and like chugs his beer, spills it all over himself. And then another beer comes flying in from at least had to be like 10 or 12 rows back. Yeah, I don't remember the beer flying in. And and he catches it in like with like with like two hands, catches it and immediately starts pouring it down his face. And of course, is totally Taylor Lewan. He's just he's got the chest elk tat and he's got the back tat and the side tat. And he's just completely covered in tats. The hair's flowing. He's acting like a maniac. The crowd's going absolutely bonkers. Um, I got to. I got text messages from people in the building saying this place is out of control. Um, and I'm assuming, and, and, and I guess there's going to be some old people out there. They're going to say, Oh, well, you know, what, what is he doing with his kid acting like a moron? And I, I just, that's not, that's not the, the person that I am. I think it's hilarious. I think Taylor Lewan has, has, is starting to become the face of professional sports in the city of Nashville. Hmm. And it's you know, they they show all the video. Didn't they show all the videos in the building as well of all the? What's interesting? So here's what's happened. That was interesting. So they show him on the screen, and he's sitting next to his wife. He's got his daughter, you know, in his arms. He waves politely to the crowd, and you're thinking, oh, you know, that's it. That's nice. Right. Then they they cut to on the scoreboard, footage of him and his teammates from the Stanley Cup final. Of was it Taylor the one who was drinking the no, Bud was, Light through the catfish? I want to say it was Quentin Spain, but I'm not sure. It was it was it was catfish chugging. Yes. My favorite part of that, by the way, is that Marcus Mariota, who I did not realize was a teetotaler. Well, oh, yeah, he's, he's the he's the DD for all those guys. Was not was. Uh, was not taking part in the beer bash, um, but you know, priceless memories, Marcus Mariota. <laughs> anyway, so they show that. And then they cut right back to Luan, who I think is already in the process of undressing himself. <laughs> and, you know, he's guys, you said he's shirtless. He's got all of the tattoos. He's freaking out. <laughs> you know, he's pouring beer all over himself, looking like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it's great. Like the place goes nuts, right? Oh, here, and, 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 you know, there were there were other he, celebrity sightings in the uh, in the building. Carrie Underwood was there in a suite with Mike Fisher. I was going to say that's um, that was that was the question amongst all the fans here in 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 uh, at Gulf Shores at the beach house with the in-laws was, well, where's Mike? Why would Carrie be there if Mike's not there? And they didn't really show. I didn't really see Mike. So, well, they showed on the scoreboard. They showed Carrie first and then who, you know, you know, gave a big hello to the crowd. And then right. they showed Mike, who, you know, Mike is a very reserved individual. So, yes, you know, yes, caught yes. a glimpse of himself on the screen, smiled, gave a, a little wave and <laughs> and that was about yeah. it. 
He'd, he'd rather be catching deers. Um, right, he'd rather be catching Nicole deers. Kidman saying, uh, hey, Jude, on the bandstand with Keith Urban during the intermission of, of Talk Game about the world's greatest groupie. And, and, and listen, it's like Nicole Kidman. What's fascinating is, is, is when I explain to some of the people here that are like, well, what makes Nashville? Why, what do they do differently that other people aren't doing? And I'm going, it's the national Nicole anthem Kidman shows up for their hockey games. Right. Like it's who shows up for their games. It's the national anthem. It's the smash car. It's, you know, the light show. It's like, it's just all this stuff that goes into, you know, Taylor Lewan wanting to show up to act like there, there's, a, it sounds like the way that they organize, it sounds scripted what they did with Taylor Lewan. Like we're going to show him being nice. Then we're going to show him being crazy. And then we're going to cut back to him. And all of a sudden he's doing something insane. It sounds like a script. You know what I mean? And I'm not, hate, I'm not hating on it. It's brilliant, but that's what they do differently. That makes Smashville Smashville. And I, it just, their game presentation and sort of all the bells and whistles that go into it. Certainly Broadway is a part of it as well outside the building, but like, that's what kind of makes it different than everywhere else. So ESPN, I want to talk, touch on this very quickly because you brought it up. So ESPN the other day, did a celebrity watch, a, a lineup of famous fans for all 16 NHL teams. So they picked five, five celebrity fans for each team. And I thought it was interesting. So for Nashville, they had Keith Urban, Carrie Underwood, Nicole Kidman, Tim McGraw, and Kelly Clarkson. That's so a, that's a pretty- That's a heavy hitter's row right there, man. On, on the hurricane side, they had Zion Williamson, who, of course, I have a soft spot for. <laughs> Steve Colbert, who I didn't realize was a Hurricanes fan. Petey Pablo. That's a big uh, one. John Isner and Evander Holyfield. So, but like, I went through all of these and I was like, I can't find one that's really better than the Predators, you know, yeah. like yeah. the New York Islanders, Kevin Connolly, who was from, you know, who was on <laughs> Entourage. Ralph Macchio, who was the karate kid. Oh, my God. Chloe Grace Moretz, actress. Billy Joel and Daniel Bryan, professional wrestler. Um, <laughs> God, I'm having fun with this. Tampa Bay, Dick Vitale, Hulk Hogan, Charles Barkley, Stephen King, and Tom Brady. That's that's a pretty um, pretty big list, but Tom Brady doesn't feel real. That just St. feels like Louis, a... St. Louis, Jenna Fisher from, from The Office, uh, John Hamm, John Goodman, Patrick Mahomes, and Chris Long. Um, well, like, just think about, think about like Vince Gill, like think about the heavy right. hitters that aren't even on the list for Nashville. Like it's, it's pretty big. You could have Vince Gill. All right. All right. Don't we could have, go, go read the article. If you want to No, I'm not, I'm thinking about this. You could have Vince Gill. You could have Eddie George. You could have any number of other country musicians. You could have my, uh, my dear friend, Eric Young, who was in the house yesterday. <laughs> impact wrestling superstar he could ryan, be on ryan hurd and Marin morris right right like so it, there's there's a lot of uh there, there's a lot of uh, it's, it's part of the allure of smashville is the Correct. sort of but that's that's kind of the, the case with nashville which is of course baked into why it's become what it what it's become so um all right that that if you want to read more celebrity stuff go go read the article i don't want you regurgitating the entire article but uh, we've also gone too long already, as usual. You and I tend to ramble, but game game five coming up. Um, I, I'd like uh, Carolina to me. I'm, I've got the the Hurricanes winning game five, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll discuss more about it after that game. But I think Carolina wins the game, and then we come back and we have a, a another all out knockdown drag out you know battle to the end in game six against Bridgestone to to try to survive. That's my prediction. Sounds good to me. Adam Vingan of The Athletic, pay for good journalism. There's a lot of great stuff up there from your colleagues right now, as well as yourself. So make sure you're paying for good journalism. Special thanks to Jaspers, of course, for being our great sponsor and keeping this all 
free for you guys. Special thanks to my in-laws and my family for allowing me to uh, jump into a quiet room and record a podcast in the middle of the vacation. And all you fans out there who listen, thank you so much for hanging out with us, of course. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the show, tell everybody about it. It's uh, it's really, really important for us. So we, we really do appreciate it. And we'll be watching, of course, on uh, Tuesday evening. So we'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Thank you all for listening. For Adam Bing and I'm Braden Gall. This has been the Cold Standard Podcast on the 440 Sports Network.